0: Good evening. So last night was a monumental occasion in my house. I'm 48 years old and probably for the last 40 years I've had the same two pillows that I've slept with. The one that I lay my head on looks like a Civil War bandage. I mean it's been around a while. I mean it's full of blood, sweat, and tears literally. And my wife has kind of nicely urged me to change out these pillows for quite some time. I sleep on one pillow, I hug another one. And both of them, as I said, they've been around the block. And so my wife has constantly tried to get me to maybe turn loose of them, but I want to sleep well, and I know what makes me sleep well, and it's these two pillows, right? It's hard to get rid of pillows because you don't want to make an adjustment or make a change and and it not work well for you. Your neck hurts or you don't sleep well, so I've resisted the change for quite some time. Well, last night, she convinced me to go and pillow shop, and uh, I got two new pillows. It wasn't horrible. I made it through the night. It wasn't like the old pillows, but it was still okay, and she asked me, you want to away the old ones. Are, no, 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 not yet. Not yet. Let's, let's keep them on standby just in case this whole pillow change doesn't work out. I'm kind of like Linus with his security blanket. Uh, I, I want to I keep my pillows close just in case because they're my security blanket. Our money's similar, isn't it? Our money and our possessions provide us with security. They, uh, they make it to where we can feel safe that maybe we can relax a little bit because we have enough to retire on or we have enough in the bank for a rainy day, and certainly there's nothing wrong with that, right? But sometimes money or our possessions can occupy, occupy an unhealthy place in our lives, which I think is why God, in His infinite wisdom, saw the need to approach it over and over again in Scripture. The Bible has more to say about money and possessions than almost any other subject. Jesus spoke about money and possessions constantly. Sixteen of the 38 parables are concerned with how to handle money and possessions. One out of ten verses in the Gospels, 288 total, deal directly with the subject of money. The Bible offers 500 verses on prayer, less than 500 verses on faith, but more than 2,000 verses on money and possessions. So it's a big deal. Now, personally, I think the best time to give a lesson on giving is when giving is good. And it's really good right now at Oldham Lane. So the elders don't have dollar signs in their eyes. I'm not trying to guilt you or shame you tonight into giving more. You've done great. And we are so thankful for, especially through COVID, how this church gave of their money. So it's not like we're under budget, and I've been urged to preach on this. I think that When we talk about loving the church, giving is a part of showing our love to the church, but it's not just about money. And in fact, a sermon on giving really shouldn't focus on money anyway, because giving is about the heart. It's all about the heart. And so that's what we're going to focus on tonight. It's not the giving of our money or the way we handle our possessions, but mainly how our heart is affected by such. It's like the two guys that were stranded on a deserted island. One of them was pacing back and forth, scared to death that they would never get recovered, thinking that no one would ever show up to rescue them. And he was so nervous. But he looked over and his friend was just sitting there, totally relaxed, just chilling. Nothing was bothering him. And the man looked at him and said, aren't you nervous? Aren't you scared that no one's going to rescue us? The man said, look, I give $100,000 to the church every week. My preacher is going to find me. (laughs) Just know that I don't need your money. I'm not concerned about money tonight as much as I am the heart and and what our our heart is given to and how that affects our giving. You know when you go to the doctor for a checkup, sometimes he's going to push around on you. He's going to push you in certain places, touch you in certain places, and sometimes it hurts. And so when it hurts, one of two things is the problem. Either he pushed too hard and made it hurt, or he pushed on an area that shouldn't hurt, but it does, and so there's a problem. And so he's going to address the problem if that's the case, and he's going to run tests and figure out why you're hurting in that spot because you shouldn't be hurting in that spot. If a sermon on giving makes you uncomfortable, if a sermon on giving hurts, then something's wrong. Because when I push, it shouldn't hurt. And maybe it's a heart issue. Maybe it's something that we need to approach on more occasions than just this one. But uh, I think that overall, when it comes to our giving and diagnosing our giving, We don't start with our pocketbook. We start with our heart. There are several different attitudes when it comes to giving. One is that of the rich young ruler who comes to Jesus and asks the most important question you could ever ask, right? What must I do to be saved? Great question. And Jesus says, you know the commandments. And he says, yes, I've kept those from my youth up. And Jesus says, then one thing you lack. Just one thing. You're so close. One thing you lack. Go and sell off everything you own. Give it to the poor and then come and follow me. Well, as you know, the rich young ruler walks away saddened because he had a lot of stuff. He was wealthy. He didn't like Jesus' answer. In other words, his wealth got in the way of discipleship. So that's an attitude that we need to avoid, obviously, right? Thank you, Captain Obvious. That's that's an obvious point that we need to get out of the way. Don't let your possessions or your money possess you. Don't let them get in the way of your discipleship. Another attitude is that of Judas. Judas evidently had a knack for handling money. That's why he was put in charge of it. But sometimes the one charged with the money can have an unhealthy relationship to it. And when a woman by the name of Mary takes some costly perfume and douses Jesus' feet with it, Judas gets upset. Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and given to poor people? I understand Judas wasn't concerned about poor people. Verse 6 of John 12 tells us that Judas took care of the money box and used to pilfer through it. So Judas cringed because this bottle of perfume was was doused on Jesus' feet and, and maybe that money could have gone to the treasury and he could have scraped some off the top. Some have a got-to-give attitude. Well, I've got to give. It's a commandment. God says you got to give, so therefore, I guess I'll give. Giving is an obligation and nothing more. But listen to what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13, 3. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. So to give as grim duty or out of obligation, to give with contempt, or to give in a self-righteous fashion is not love, it's pride. And pride knows no love except self-love. So we can give without love, but we cannot love without giving. Giving our money proves that we love him more than the things that we have bought with it. Similar to the got-to-givers are the folks that are grudge-givers. A grudge-giver is the one who regrets turning loose of their money as soon as they get rid of it. They write out that check, perhaps, and as soon as they drop it in the tray or in the box, they regret it. They think about what they're turning loose of, and it bothers them greatly. Grudge giver is also one of those who refuses to give their money to the Lord's church unless the elders or the preacher will do certain things. I'm not giving my money unless you do this. It's funny to me how people think it becomes the Lord's money once you give it to the church. It was always the Lord's money, folks. It's the Lord's money right now as it sits in your bank account or in your pocket. It's always the Lord's money. It doesn't belong to you anyway, right? But a grudge giver would be one that says, I'm not giving my money unless... Now, if the elders are not taking care of the money the way they should, then you have every right to question that. But a grudge giver is one that gives on their own terms. And some had the attitude of Ananias and Sapphira. You might remember that, that they sold a piece of land and they presented the, the proceeds from that sale to uh, the church as if that was the whole of the money when they actually kept some of the profit for their own, which wasn't wrong. It wasn't wrong that they owned land. It wasn't wrong that they sold a piece of it. It wasn't wrong that they kept some of it. What was wrong is the fact that they presented their gift as if it were the whole after keeping some back. And this prompted Peter to say, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land while it remained unsold? Did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? Barnabas had done something similar and received great praise, and maybe Ananias and Sapphira wanted the same adulation. For whatever reason, their motive was wrong in their giving. And it just proves the point that we shouldn't give God the credit for our rich and bountiful blessings, go on and on about how much He has prospered us, and yet be unwilling to share those blessings liberally. Someone once said there's three types of givers. You may have heard this. Three types of givers. There's the flint, there's the sponge, and there's the honeycomb. Now, the flint you have to beat to death with a hammer, and you're still only going to get chips and sparks. With a sponge, you've got to wring it so hard to get anything out of it. But with the honeycomb, it just overflows with its own sweetness. No beating, no squeezing. Obviously, we want to be honeycombs. Understand also, God is not impressed with misers. Cheapness is not a spiritual gift. Stewardship is not about taking what God has blessed me with and rationing out a smidge here and there. No, this is, this is about offering God what cost you much. Too often we do the opposite. We offer God what cost us very little, but to be a honeycomb means that we overflow with sweetness. You know, we sing a song in church sometimes that says, Living below in this old sinful world, hardly a comfort can afford. We sing another song similar to that, I'm Satisfied with Just a Cottage Below, a little silver and a little gold. You feel like a hypocrite when you sing that? I do. I don't think I can sing that without lying. I'm not satisfied with a cottage below, are you? I mean, I think that if we're being honest, it's hard to sing these words with a clear conscience. Because with most of us, we have more than we could ever want or need. We can't even park our car in the garage because it's filled with all kinds of stuff. We may even have a, you know, a storage facility somewhere to store all of our stuff. You know, We have more than we could ever want or need. That doesn't mean that we're not generous givers or anything like that, but even the poorest among us are, are wealthier than 90% of the world. And so we have these bountiful blessings, and all too often they possess us. Virtually all of us have all that we need, and yet we're still hindered in our giving. The problem is a heart problem, because giving isn't about money. Money is just metal, it's just coin, it's just plastic, it's just paper. Giving is about the condition of your heart. God doesn't need your money. He doesn't need your money, but He wants your heart. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul is trying to motivate the Corinth church in their giving. The church in Corinth, as you know, had problems, major problems, and apparently giving was one of them. So Paul was delivering this sermon in writing on the subject. The church in Corinth had begun taking up a collection a year prior for the church in Jerusalem, but they had apparently ceased in their giving. And so Paul is writing to encourage them to continue what they started, and he uses the church in Macedonia as an example of great generosity. Listen, uh, you can turn there if you want, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, starting in verse 1, listen to what Paul writes. He says, now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. And this not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. I want you to notice what Paul says about the example of the Macedonians. They gave with the right motive. He says, they rejoiced in their giving despite persecution and deep poverty because they knew that it was helping others and that it was pleasing to God. They also gave sacrificially, but the key, the key to their giving is found in verse five. Notice what it says, but they first gave themselves to the Lord. That's it. That's the key to giving. You want to know the secret to success when it comes to being a cheerful giver? It's giving to God first giving yourself to him. If you give yourself to God first, then giving becomes less and less of a problem. Those who have trouble turning loose of their money, those who are hindered in their giving have not given themselves first to God. Because like I said, it's not the money that's hard. Money is just paper. It's just plastic. It's just coin. It's about a relationship with God. It's about unhindered devotion. It's about not letting your possessions possess you. It's about not letting your money have a stranglehold on your heart. It's, not, it's about not bowing down to the almighty dollar before bowing down to the almighty God. Whether consciously or unconsciously, money has become an easy God for some. And turning loose of our money is not an easy thing because money provides security, like, like those pillows of mine. We bow to the God of money and we allow it to control us because at our core we're deficient in our faith. Of course, it would be a tragedy, a travesty, to do a lesson on giving and not talk about the poor widow. So let's look at Mark chapter 12. And in Mark chapter 12, starting in verse 41, it says, And he, Jesus, sat down opposite the treasury and began observing how the people were putting money into the treasury. You think Jesus watches your giving? You think God observes your giving? That's kind of scary, isn't it? And many rich people were putting in large sums a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which amount to a cent. Calling his disciples to him, he said to them, truly, I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all the contributors to the treasury for they all put in out of their surplus, but she out of her poverty put in all she owned, all she had to live on. Now, according to historians, The treasury in the temple consisted of 13 trumpet-shaped containers, so they were broad at the bottom and they narrowed at the top. And the religious leaders, the Pharisees, figured out how to drop their coins in these receptacles in order to make them make the loudest noise. It would be like me holding up $100 from the pew and saying, hey, look at how much I'm going to give, right? It's calling attention to yourself, and that's what the Pharisees, as you know, were good at drawing the attention of men, getting the praise from men. And that's where the transaction ended, because they didn't get praise from God. God was not impressed with their giving. But Jesus sits down and he observes as those gave, including the Pharisees, but also this poor widow woman, and he sees her giving all that she had. As Jesus sat there and sees this solitary woman walk in, this poor widow one, Mark says this poor widow, which like there's any other kind, You know, most widows were poor, so the fact that he mentioned that she was a poor widow woman might mean that she was at the bottom of the barrel, the lowest of low when it comes to poverty. She comes alone as if ashamed to mingle with the crowd of wealthy givers, ashamed to have her offering seen, ashamed that her appearance doesn't measure up, and in her hand were these two very small coins. The text says that they equaled one cent. The Greek translated for cent is one quadrant which was a small Roman coin, and a quadrant was equal to about one sixty-fourth of a denarius. A denarius was equivalent to a day's wage for the common laborer. And this poor widow woman who had only a fraction of a worker's pay for one day, all she had, and she willingly dropped it in the receptacle. And Jesus was so moved by her generosity that she became the example for giving. He calls his disciples over and he says, This poor widow put in more than all the contributors to the treasury. Which, I mean, not exactly true, right? The Pharisees were dropping in way more, but their heart wasn't in it. And that's the difference. Jesus often spoke in contrast. We've talked about that before. He often used contrast to make a point, and certainly this is a contrast in giving. You have the Pharisees and you have this poor widow woman. Her attitude in giving was a guide to, For Christ's followers to follow, she entered the temple treasury with no fanfare, with no demonstration of piety, no seeking of praise, doing her best to keep the attention off of herself. She comes in, she makes her humble offering unto God, and from the standpoint of men, her contribution was paltry, but from the standpoint of God, it was priceless. In the Lord's eyes, her tiny coins were more precious than diamonds, because it wasn't the amount that she gave, it was the heart with which she gave it she gave humbly, she gave cheerfully, and she gave out of love. Here's the thing. We typically measure our contribution by the, by the dollar amount that we give. God measures our contribution by the condition of the heart from which it came. It's easy for us to look at the story of the poor widow woman and we wonder, is, is it really wise? Was it really wise for her to give everything she had? I mean, was that really a wise decision? And does that mean that, that we are only giving in the right way or in the right manner when we give all of our paycheck? Well, obviously, that's not the point. The amount of the gift never matters as much as the cost to the giver. Let me say that again. The amount of the gift never matters as much as the cost to the giver. In other words, it's not the size of the gift, but the sacrifice involved. By giving all that she had, this poor widow woman was trusting in God to take care of her needs. I mean, she had to trust in God. She had to trust in God that that the next day, the following day, he would take care of her needs because she gave all she had. God judges what we give by what we keep. Do you believe that? God judges what we give by what we keep. The wealthy gave out of their wealth, and even though they gave large sums of money, they still had a large sum of money left. They had given out of their abundance. They weren't going to miss the money that they gave away. They didn't give from the bottom of their heart. They gave from the top of their purse. They had given out of their abundance, and they weren't going to miss that money. They had plenty to sustain them, but this widow gave everything she had. And therefore, she had only her faith to sustain her. Her trust had to be in God. You know, the contributions of the rich cost them nothing, but the contribution of this widow cost her everything. If you give what you do not need, is it really giving? I mean, because one thing that the Bible teaches over and over again about giving is that it should be sacrificial. You see that theme over and over again as it relates to giving, is that giving should be sacrificial. In Jesus' view, the amount we keep indicates more than the amount we give. I think the point of the story of the widow giving her two mites is this it's not the amount you give that's important. It's, did you give all you could? Did you give out of your abundance or did you sacrifice? Is your faith in God or in money? Difficult questions for sure. Difficult because they hit us between the eyes. Are we putting our full faith and trust in God or do we rely too heavily on our money? And I think how we answer those questions will directly affect our giving because stewardship is ultimately a lordship issue. And giving falls under stewardship our giving is a direct result of who has our heart now please understand where i'm coming from this is a very generous church i tell people sometimes we're a very liberal congregation and people kind of look at me funny no liberal in our giving we really are and that has been proven over and over again So this is not an indictment on us. This sermon tonight is not meant to point the finger. It's not meant to bring down the hammer and say, do better. No, I I just, I think when we talk about loving the church, one of the ways that we express that love is giving. And not just giving of our money. Giving of our time, our talents, our abilities. I think it's so important for us as a church family, to understand the concept of giving and where it starts. Because like with anything else, we talk about it all the time, it all starts with the vertical, right? It all starts with our relationship with God. If you wanna love your neighbor as yourself, you don't start with your neighbor, you start with God. If you wanna love your enemies, you don't start with your enemies, you start with God. If you wanna be the best husband, the best father, you don't start with your spouse, you don't start with your kids, you start with God. And if you wanna be a better giver, you start with God. You don't start with your money or your possessions, you start with God. The vertical always affects the horizontal. Look, it's like the guy who walked through a museum. He went through the turnstile, and he walked through the museum, and he began taking all the portraits off the wall and putting them under his arm. Just taking all the paintings off the wall, putting them under his arm, and he was about to walk out, and the museum curator stopped him and said, hey, what are you doing? You can't do that. He goes, why, they're mine, they're under my arm. And of course, they call security. Security takes them away from him and escorts him out the same way he came in, with nothing under his arm. And if we were witnessing that, we'd say, what a fool, right? I mean, he should be punished to the fullest extent of the law. But we kind of do the same thing. Yeah, you know, we, we traipse through life believing that this stuff is ours, that we have under our arms, and it's not. We're not owners of anything. You're going to leave this world the same way you came into it, with nothing under your arm. We're managers. And how we manage the stuff that God has placed under our arms says everything about us and everything about our heart. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for our church family. Thank you so much for the blessings that have been afforded to us. Thank you for our money. Thank you for our abilities, for our talents, and may we always use them for you. May we glorify you in our management of those things. And may we always remember that you are the owner of all, including us, And may we always give our lives to you. It's in your son's precious name we pray. Amen. Well, it's been a good day. And I love this church family. And I thank you so much for all that you do for this place and making it great. Let's continue to do so. If we can help you tonight. If you need the prayers of this church family, if you need encouragement, if you are ready to put on Christ and baptism, Jet will tell you the water's pretty cold. We're in the process of redoing our baptistry, so, um, but it will get the job done, I guarantee you, and you will be glad you did. So if there's any need that we can help you with tonight, uh, Dave's going to lead us in a song. Why don't you come as we stand and as we sing?